This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. Hello and a very happy new year from the entire team of the Morning Brief. In today's episode, the 1st of 2022 and the 200th from the stable of TMB, we bring you an interview with one of the foremost veterans of corporate India. RC Bhargav has always been a risk taker. Right from the day in 1981 when the Indian Administrative Service officer gave up a plush comfortable career in public service and quit his deputed role as director commercial of BHEL to join the top management of Maruti Suzuki what he and his team subsequently made possible was for millions of cute affordable small cars to reach the backyards of common indians perhaps for the first time while also bringing the much famed japanese technical excellence to the country and creating one of the most enduring make in india stories ever even now the 87 year old czar of small cars as niti ayog ceo amitabh kant recently called him has his priorities ambitions and critique very firm in this episode Bhargav talks to us about a wide range of issues from the impact of the pandemic on businesses in India and the challenges ahead to how the Indian government is stuck between building popularity and bringing reforms. He also explains why he thinks manufacturing has never been as big as it should be in this country. He also talks about the reason behind Maruti's reluctance to enter the electric vehicle segment just now. and finally about the identity of the company going ahead especially in light of the recent retirement of Suzuki's chairman Osamu Suzuki and its big tie up with Japanese peer Toyota Motor Corp It's the 4th of January I'm your host Anirban Chaudhary and you're listening to Ringside with RC Bhargav on the Morning Brief making sense of the hottest stories in business economy politics and markets wish you a very happy new year mr bhargava and thank you so much for joining us in this episode happy new year to you also anirban i'd like to start by asking you the last two years have been fairly challenging for india and for corporate india we've had a rise in infections lockdowns fall in demand and then we had a severe supply crunch which affected the auto industry the most there were several challenges that companies grappled with with varying degrees of resilience but do you think the last two years also exposed some inherent weaknesses in the way that companies traditionally do businesses that were revealed in the last two years i think uh, the management of the covid in india although we can find many many weaknesses and many areas where improvements are possible but for something which happened for the first time i think we did a pretty acceptable kind of job sure i think what came out was that companies that had built uh, 
a strong base in terms of financial strength and reserves, they were able to tide over the problems much better. For example, the small and medium scale industries who virtually have no balance sheet strength at all, they suffered very badly. Amongst the larger companies, companies which had strong balance sheets, strong reserves, strong internal generation over the years, they did not undergo serious difficulties. Of course, there was loss of sale, there was loss of profit, but they could tide over that quite easily. And specifically, I'm looking at our own company. Sure, we had a bad couple of years, sales have been much lower, profits have been much lower, but it has not uh, put us under any kind of strain as far as surviving as a company or meeting our obligations or paying our loans or whatever. That has not happened. Okay. And I think one lesson which comes out is that Indian companies, and I think this is something I've been saying separately also, need to pay much more attention to building stronger balance sheets, building internal resources, reducing the expenses of the company and especially expenses on top management so that more resources remain within the company. Of course, it will require them to pay taxes, but paying that tax is going to give them much, much greater resilience and ability not only to withstand crises like the pandemic, but also to grow their companies and to modernize and develop engineering capabilities and R&D and all such things. So I think if Indian industry has to grow, we should learn from these last two years that internal resources and a strong balance sheet are an absolute essential. But some of the challenges still remain, right? I mean, uh, the cost of manufacturing, for instance, is still higher. Um, Job losses are happening, which means that Um, demand, even though we saw some spurts of it during the festive season, may continue to be muted in the coming months. So how does one, how does a company like yours continue to grapple with these challenges? As far as Maruti is concerned, our problem at the moment is not demand. It is actually the ability to manufacture to meet the demand because this problems of getting the electronic components, I'm specifically meeting semiconductors and the chips, has cut down the ability to manufacture substantially. I was just looking at uh, the sale figures for December. At the end of December, we have zero stock in the factory. And our dealers in the pipeline, all dealers all over India, have an all-time low stock of 3,800 cars. Okay. And that includes vehicles in transit. So you see how much the, the supply side has been affected. Not so much the demand side at the moment. I think the demand side problem will come up as we go further and the supply side issues are sorted out. And I've said this earlier also about the need for demand for the future. But... During this period now, it's been more a supply side issue than a demand side issue during these two years of the COVID. Let me throw open the gamut of our discussion a little bit. If we look at traditional companies, we've seen profitability increasing. We've seen some great runs in the stock market. We've seen cash reserves going up. But we haven't really seen the so-called animal spirit being unleashed amongst traditional companies, right? I mean, 
There has been loans restructuring, but no real credit growth. CapEx plans are fairly muted. Why do you think this is happening? I mean, companies are still wary and they are the big job creators. Do you think this ennui, if we may call it that, can create another cycle of unemployment or a slowdown in, in the country? The growth of industry and what you're calling the animal spirits been low over many, many years, well before COVID. COVID has had very little to do with that. And that's where the whole question of uh, what rate of growth of industry, of manufacturing, can the corporate sector in India expect? Not for one year or two years, because investments are not made for one or two years. Investments, if I make an investment, I make an investment, but I need at least visibility of the market for the next 10 years. Because these are all heavy investments which require a long time to pay off. And that has been the problem in, in Indian industry, that by and large, the growth of the manufacturing sector has been slow. And one of the factors responsible for that has been the slow growth of demand, not only in these three, four, five years, over all the last 70 years. That's a great point about about the preceding years. So let me take you to that and and, and talk a little bit about governance. Even before 2020, when, when the pandemic struck, GDP growth was slower than expected. And of course, this was despite the methodical changes in its calculation that many say overstated growth rates. It has also been amply clear in the last few years that this claim of 5 trillion GDP by FY25, or also making the manufacturing sector account for 25% of GDP, they are what some would call pipe dreams. You spoke about companies. I'd like you to tell me about the government. What's the reason for which these aims haven't been met? Were they overambitious to begin with? And I'm talking pre-COVID, of course. Yeah. Well, what you have raised is a very major question for the entire Indian economy over the last 70 years. You know, manufacturing growth requires manufacturing competitiveness. Unless you're production in the country is competitive. And competitive means primarily lower cost, better quality, better design, better technology. That is a prerequisite for growth. Now, what has happened in all these years, ever since we started in 1950, and I've detailed this in some, what should I say, explained it very well in my book, Getting Competitive. Over these years, our policies were never designed to create a competitive manufacturing sector. Mr. Modi recognized the importance of growing manufacturing. He has made a large number of changes. But Anirban, what one must remember is that India is a democracy. In a democracy like ours, consensus is important. And if Mr. Modi is the leader who is supposed to do this, he also needs to stay in power. You've seen the difficulties we've had in reforms. Even this whole area of public sector reform and privatization, you see how many problems this runs into, what the, the time schedule which we take because everybody is suspect, nobody is trusted, nobody's motives are looked at as being above board. 
and therefore the whole time process of implementing reforms is exceedingly slow in India. And that is the reason why over these years that Mr. Modi has been in power, seven years, the progress has been made, but it is nowhere near what India needs. But surely, sir, the government is somewhat at fault too. I mean, let's talk about the Indian government and the automotive sector specifically. So in an August convention of the Society of Indian Automobile Manufacturers, or what is famously known as CAM, you had said, and I quote, I'm afraid words don't get us very much in terms of extra sales, but you need concrete action to make this happen. Yeah. You also wondered aloud whether the age-old belief of cars being luxury possessions of the wealthy still prevails. And you said also this, and I quote again, we've always forgotten customers in the centralized planning system because the customer didn't matter. And we still don't think of the customers when we plan. Sure. So the government has been announcing schemes like the extension of FAME 2 till 2024 or the 26,000 crore PLI scheme. And of course, the more recent 76,000 crore scheme for semiconductors. So does your critique of August remain or has it changed? What, what are your thoughts? sir? Now, the minimum tax which we have on a car in India today GST is about 29%, 29-30%. State governments then add to that various uh, one-time, uh, at the time of purchase, road taxes, and there's insurance for three years, all of which adds on an average that the car pays a tax of 40%, 45%, depending on which state you are in. That is related to the Indian per capita income. If you look at the world, in Europe, the GST on cars is around 19%. In Japan, it's about 10%. There are annual charges for vehicles being fit and road tax and things, but at the time of buying the tax, buying a car, the tax on cars in India is more than twice the tax which is paid in the developed countries. Now I'll take you to this whole carbon neutrality issue. We have sought 70 years for achieving the target, 20 years more than what the rest of the world wanted. And the reason for that was the poverty in this country, the lack of resources to implement the technologies to change over from coal generating, coal-powered power stations to cleaner technologies and all that. Does that argument of poverty not also apply to the car sector? We, char we tax cars higher than what we tax many other product manufactured products. And the whole question then becomes, how do we improve productivity? How do we reduce other costs? And how do we gradually bring down taxation to international levels so that cars and other products become more affordable? Right. But but there is another critique of the government also, right? Many say that the government latches on to progressive schemes later than the world and then wants to implement them at super speed, wants them done yesterday. Like the transition from BS4 to BS6 was, I think, done in slightly more than half the time that it takes globally for such a transition. We had Mr. Nitin Gadkari, Minister Nitin Gadkari, um, speaking about flex fuel or ethanol petrol mixed fuel vehicles being a must in six months. And there are many other examples. And 
that uh, when it's done at super speed it increases cost again and then it brings to your moot critique on affordability so do you think there needs to be a clearer regulatory roadmap for the auto industry and do you think the auto industry needs a regulator see i don't think that it's quite fair to say that government latches on late and then starts to implement fast the arrangement for the cars had always been that we were implementing the emission standards of europe about 5 years after they were introduced in that part of the world what happened this time was that because of this rising pollution in the country especially in the ncr which really commands maximum attention government wanted to clean up the emission from this sector of automotives and therefore they did not wait for that 5 year period between from bs4 to go to bs5 and then from bs5 to go to bs6 they compressed this but it was done in the interests of creating a cleaner environment in this part of the world and it doesn't add more cost it certainly Uh, detracts from the companies doing certain other work in that period because they had to concentrate resources on meeting the bs6 uh, timelines but that is not the thing and similarly mr gadkari's emphasis on using ethanol it's a, it's a very important part of the business of reducing petrol imports and of uh, reducing the carbon emission it's not adding to cost it is urging the companies to go ahead and do the engineering work to develop engines which will be suitable for a higher percentage of uh, ethanol if this push hadn't come from the government i don't think today engines would be doing be capable of doing 10% ethanol it would have been much less and the move forward towards a higher percentage of ethanol would not happen without this push on that note let's talk about an initiative of the government which as usual it's it's pushing very hard for but one in which maruti is i'm not sure if it's completely on board and that's electric vehicles and the sustainability initiatives it would be an understatement i think to say that maruti is a little uh, late to board that bus correct me if i'm wrong i mean you've set a target for 2025 for your electric vehicles and and fa- to be fair the rest of the industry has been quicker i mean we've seen the tata group recently raise 1 billion dollars from pe firm tpg by selling stake in its electric vehicle business now people would expect uh, a, a market leader like maruti to i think play a more transformative role in terms of the sustainability initiatives considering the automotive industry and its products are such massive contributors right to to carbon emissions how do you react to that anirban if we want to get electric technology into india and make electric cars somebody has to buy those cars now the question of affordability therefore becomes paramount 
if customers today are finding at high prices a deterrent to buying cars, especially in the lower segments, how will they buy electric cars is a question which you need to look at. Second question I have is that there are what 17, 18 car manufacturers in India. How many electric cars are being sold? particularly being sold to individuals. I'm not talking of institutional buyers or government or such things. I'm talking of individual car buyers. And you'll find that the sales to individual car buyers is extremely limited and is confined to the richer sections of the population. There's nobody able to sell cars to the lower end of the market. Now, we have kept a deadline of 25 for introducing cars, not because technology is not available with us. We had done an electric wagon art two years ago, but we found the cost was so high that there was really no market for it. Mm-hmm. Our intention is that we should come in with electric cars, which will not be for the lower end of the market even now because technology for electric cars has not grown adequately to make it possible for the small cars to be electrified at an affordable cost. These electric cars will be for the upper end of the market Naturally, the penetration is going to be comparatively small. The volumes will be comparatively small. The traditional cars will continue for a much longer time. We are going in for hybrid cars. We have the most fuel efficient engines in our cars. Now, these are things which you have to keep in mind that India is not going to become a 100% or even a 50% electrified market by in the next 10 years. Whatever anybody may do, it will not happen for the same reasons as I said that we will not meet the carbon neutrality in 2050. We will have to go till 2070. Same reasons apply here. And that is why we are not behind the ball, in uh, falling behind the market in this area. We are being a little bit more uh, careful in how we proceed so that our shareholder interests are protected and we don't make products which uh, cannot sell to the market or make any significant difference. Fair point, Mr. Bhargav. Let's now talk a little bit about the company itself, uh, Maruti Suzuki. Now, um, Osamu Suzuki-san, as we know, is retired. And, you know, Maruti continues to contribute, I think, more than half of the sales and, if I'm not mistaken, also profits to to Suzuki. Then, of course, there is this huge partnership with Toyota. And and Toyota's success, as we all know in India, has been in spurts. Uh, we've seen some products doing extremely well, while others have not done so well. And now it's planning something called the Big Leap for India. And also, Maruti Toyota are together planning a host of products for India, starting with the new SUV that hits the markets next year. So, in that sense, um, is there, for want of a better phrase, a succession crisis at Maruti Suzuki 
at the at the very top and is maruti's identity changing and will it be seen in the coming years as toyota's partner more than anything else and also of course how will the partnership be leveraged globally and in india uh let's be clear the partnership is with suzuki japan not with maruti suzuki india Toyota and Suzuki have an arrangement in Japan for technology development and sharing of components and vehicles and things not in India at all that's number 1 number 2 i don't see where there is a crisis of succession leadership in MSIL MSIL gets uh, their leadership i mean mr alkawa has been here for the last uh, as md for the last 8 or 9 years something like that and uh, if and when he goes back there will be another person from suzuki who will succeed him there's no problem with leadership crisis there mm-hmm. the suzuki and toyota are independent companies in japan they are not uh, in any case anyway companies who are collaborating with products and everything it's a very limited partnership they have so in terms of what's happening in india some of the technologies which toyota has passed on to suzuki are being used in india and that's where that suv you are talking about because it will have the technology will basically be in the hybrid version of the suv Toyota's techno- hybrid technology is advanced beyond anybody else in the world, and we will use that technology in the SUV. We are using the to do uh, Toyota's networks abroad to export vehicles. This year, exports from India will be about double those uh, of last year, and a lot of that will be because we have access to more outlets ab- abroad. so that is the kind of partnership which is happening there's no crisis or nothing fundamentally changing at all understood understood so i'd uh, so i'll i'll ask you to do a little bit of crystal ball gazing for 2022 now now many of the problems that we faced and companies faced in 2021 remain in 2022 and there are apprehensions of a third wave we are seeing in number of infections increasing every day more critically or less but for business i mean states are introducing restrictions afresh how do you think that the next few months will pan out and what are the three advantages and the three top challenges you think that companies will face in 2022 you know we are much better prepared now to face this new wave of the omicron compared to what we had been in the past not only government but i think companies and uh, their associates they are all much much better prepared i do not think that there is going to be a lockdown and i don't think that uh, unless things become very very serious that the government of india or anybody will think of shutting down the economy once again my personal belief is that 22 2022 will in terms of both company functioning as well as the national economy be much better than 21 and we will be despite the omicron which will have some challenges and which will need some amount of action 
we will be better off. I think the uh, the crisis of the chips and the semiconductor devices will be less serious in 22 than it was in 21. And I think people will be better able to find solutions to some of these problems. So I think the production volumes in this coming year should be higher than what they were in 21, and not by small amounts, but by a fairly decent amount. Bhargav ends the interview on that hopeful note. Despite the various challenges and issues that face the automotive industry, he remains motivated, just as he continues to be about his work. I, I don't look at the traditional way of retiring as an airtime when one should get demotivated at that time and stop doing anything. Because I believe that uh, as long as one is living and one has uh, one's faculties about oneself, then you should want to do things. I would say that I've been lucky that I've got my faculties about me. I can go around and do things. And uh, Suzuki, who has kept me on as the chairman of this company, appears to think that uh, I'm still contributing and adding value to the company. That's it for today, folks. Do write to us at themorningbrief at timesgroup.com and tell us how you liked this interview. We'd like to make these one-on-one fireside chats somewhat of a fixture in the coming months. This episode was produced by my colleague Bhavya Dilip Kumar from ET and Swati Joshi from Awaz.com. Sound editor, Saundarya Jayachandran from Awaz. Executive producer, Arjit Barman. The Morning Brief airs on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. Keep listening. I'm your host Anirban Chaudhary, wishing you a very good day and year ahead.